Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. You know, as I begin to reflect on what I had laid out, uh, Brother Chris, I, I kind of feel, feel like it didn't have any juice on it. You know, I, I was, I, I thought, man, this is great. But begin, when, once he gave me this and I reflected back, I said, man, I don't have no juice on it. It's good, it's good stuff. But you need, you know, you want some juicy. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. Are you there? Thank you, Lord. First uh, Corinthians 5 and verse 7. It reads this way. It says, therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So today I'm going to talk about Christ our Passover. Christ our Passover. Father, thank you today for the time that we have now to spend in your word. I pray that every heart would be ready to receive the word. I thank you that your people today will receive the word with meekness because it's able to save our souls. And that, Lord, that you, we will receive your word not as the word of, of men, but as it is in truth, your word, which works effectively in those who believe. Speak your word, Father, for your servants we hear and we receive it and we intend to obey and let the word produce in us exactly what you sent it to produce, we pray in Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. amen. And amen. Glory to God. Um, I'm not preaching on Wednesday. Uh, Apostle Derber's here. And I'm not preaching on Sunday. Apostle Derber's here. So um, I'm going to take my time today. And in doing so, I don't want to save this message till next Resurrection Sunday. So can I tell you just a little bit about it? Y'all sure? I mean, it was good. I thought it was good. I just want to tell you a little bit. It was interesting. You see, because the devil is a schemer. You know, we've been preaching about the devil the last few weeks here. Not about him, but about your victory over him, seeing what he's been doing. And he's a schemer. He's, a, in fact, a conspirator. He conspires to keep people in darkness. The Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 12, I believe it is verse 9 or so, uh, about how uh, Satan was cast out of heaven, him and all his angels. And the Bible says he's that uh, serpent of old, the uh, one uh, who deceives. You see that on there? Who deceives the whole world. So the devil is a deceiver. Everybody say deceiver. deceiver. Now, being a deceiver, he, he has kept deception. We use deception in the Garden of Eden. Right? And he's kept deception going on all the way to this day. And so one of the biggest things that he has to keep deception about is the resurrection. Now, I'm going to get to my other message, but I'm just, I just want to tell you this. He, he has to keep people deceived about the resurrection. Because remember Paul talked about, Paul said, that I may know him 
in the power of his resurrection? That I may know Jesus, y'all listening? In the power of his resurrection? So people talk about the power of the cross, but the Bible doesn't talk about much about the power of the cross. The Bible talks more about the power of his resurrection. Because the cross, there was, there was nothing, nothing um, uh, unusual about the cross. The cross was a common method of crucifixion, of, of, of death penalty in that time. Remember when Jesus was out on the cross, there was a thief on the, on the left and on the right. That was a common Roman method. It would be just like us having the electric chair today or a gas chamber or whatever we use today. Right? But what was different was all the other men who have been crucified, none of them were resurrected. Are you with me? The power comes from the resurrection. So the devil knows that, that if you would find out about the power of the resurrection, you would be resurrected. Everything about your life will be resurrected. Everything that has ever died and gone wrong in your life will be resurrected. You'll be raised up to a new life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Your marriage will be raised up. Your children will be raised up. Your body will be raised up. Your family will be raised up. Your money will be raised up. If, if you could get a real understanding of the mystery of the resurrection, you'll be raised up. So the devil, listen to me, he is, he is a, a conspirator. So he has concocted a plan to keep the resurrection a secret. In the book of Matthew, you see in chapters 27, you see there, you don't have to turn there, because if, if I do, I'll start preaching it. I'm just telling you. In Matthew 27, you see where Jesus Christ, uh, when he died, uh, he was... Uh, Suspended between two thieves, died, and when, when he died on his own, uh, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, came and got his body, uh, put his body, you know, wrapped him in linen, gave him a rich man's burial, right, because he was a rich man, but he, he didn't invest in a tomb, because he was only going to be renting, okay, he didn't, he didn't need it, so he didn't invest in a tomb. Joseph had invested in a tomb and, and Joseph uh, was going to let Jesus Christ borrow it because Joseph believed the message because he said, I'm going to rise in three days. Right. Joseph believed it, so he said, hey, you can borrow my tomb for three days. Got it? So then, so then uh, Joseph puts him in a tomb and the Bible says he puts a large stone over the tomb. Then the Bible says the chief priests and those elders of the Jews came. They went to Pilate and said, sir, they said, while he was alive, that deceiver said, they called Jesus Christ a deceiver. They said, sir, that deceiver said that in three days he's going to get up again. Now, the deceiver, Satan, has them calling Jesus Christ the deceiver. Now, I want you to see this because it's interesting because that's the same thing that's going on today in the world that people are trying to tell you, tell people in the world that the church is deceiving people. That Jesus wasn't real, that there, there was no cross, there was no resurrection. He's not coming back, but he is. 
So they said, that deceiver said he's going to get up again. So he, they said, sir, here's what we want to do. Can you please allow us to make that grave very secure? It already had a large stone, but we want to secure it. So, so he said, tell you what, I'll give you a whole squadron of soldiers. Place a guard around that tomb. Make sure the stone is, is secure and make sure it's sealed. In other words, put a stamp on it, a, a sign on it, uh, like, like a no trespassing sign signed by Pilate, the, the governor. You got it? So they did that. So their plan is, because what they said was, they said, do this so that his disciples can't come by night, steal his body, and watch this. Here's the key part. And then say to the people... That he got up. Now, what's interesting is while Jesus Christ is on the cross, I'm borrowing this time for y'all. While he's on the cross, the Bible says, from the sixth to the ninth hour, from 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock p.m., the Bible says the skies went totally dark. Everything goes dark over the whole face of the earth. And while this is happening, all of a sudden, the Bible says that the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. It said all the rocks around were split in two. It says then, it says, and the graves were open. Now they see all this. They see all, they see the skies dark. They, they see the, they, they, they feel the earthquake. They know all this stuff is happening, but what they're concerned about, they're not even thinking about this stuff happening. The Bible says, matter of fact, the, the, there was a centurion saying about the centurion said, truly this was the son of God. The centurion got a revelation. The guards around him said, hey, we messed up. This was the son of God. But the religious folks said, no, no, no. Hey, we got we to gotta hide this here. Your Bible even goes on to say that after the resurrection, those graves, when they were open, the bodies were raised. And those folk got up and went and showed themselves to everybody in Jerusalem. Come on, y'all believe your Bible. Your Bible says people who were dead, we don't know if they were dead for 10 days or dead for centuries, but they got up and showed themselves to people in Jerusalem. But what the, that, that, that didn't even matter to the, to the religious folk. Because the devil wasn't trying to keep that a secret. So they sealed the tomb. They said, here's what they said, we're going to keep the disciples out. But at the same time, they're trying to keep Jesus in. But those fools don't even know he wasn't in there. How much time I got? He's not even in there. While they're still in the tomb, he's gone. He's down in hell. In, in Sheol. He's down there preaching a revival. The moment he left his body, he's down there, down there in Sheol preaching a revival. He's preaching captivity captive. He's down there telling, telling them, hey, I'm the one you all been looking for all this time. I'm down, I'm here to, re to, re to release you. And those who believed him, they got up. They're trying to secure a grave and he ain't even there. But when he does come back, the Bible says on the first day of the week, after the Sabbath, after the Passover began, like the Passover began here last night, the first day of the week, the Bible says that there was another earthquake, and this time an angel showed up. And when the angel showed up, he rolled, just simply rolled the stone away, just 
stone rolls away, the Bible says. The guards who are all big and tough, they guard in the tomb, the Bible says they drop like dead men. They fainted. Oh! You see the big old tough guards? They, oh! They saw this angel. But the women, Mary and Mary Magdalene, they were there and they didn't even drop. They were like, wow. But the big old tough men, they, oh! And the angel said, hey, Fear not. They said, he, he is not here. He is risen. As he said. So what happens? Now, watch, watch the conspiracy. So the guards, when they finally come to, they run to the elders, the chief priests, the religious folk, and they tell them, hey, he got up. He is risen like he said. So here's their plan. They said, hey, we can't let this secret get out. So the Bible says they gave them, and the King James says, they gave them large money. They bribed the soldiers, gave them a huge life-changing sum of money to keep the secret. They said, here's what you do. You tell the people that the disciples came and stole his body. So the church or the religious people paid the guards to lie. And the Bible says it's commonly reported to the Jews to this day. That's why to this day, Jews don't believe Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Because the word that was spread around Jerusalem was not that he rose again, but that his disciples stole his body. So to this day, that's what they believe. Now, what you got to catch with that is the devil's still doing the same thing to this day. He pumps all the money he can into arts, all the money he can into entertainment, all the money he can into the news, all the money he can into media, all the money he can into education system, all the money he can into government to teach people out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to make sure people never learn, to make sure pe people, people bring Jesus Christ down to the level of a regular prophet or a teacher or just a regular human being if he came at all. That same conspiracy from then is still going on to this day. What you got to catch, I don't have time to go into it. You can read it for yourself in 1 Corinthians 15. It goes on to talk about if Christ, not, if he be not risen, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. If he be not risen, your faith is useless, your faith is worthless. If he be not risen, then we are of all men most miserable, most pitiable. He said, if, if Christ be not risen, this is all in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ be not risen, then all those who died in Christ are just lost. But then he goes on to say, but he is risen. <laughs> so we're not the most miserable and pitiable people on the planet. No, we have the power of the resurrection. Now it's important that that we teach that to our children. And this is not just about bunnies and eggs and baskets and bonnets and, and, and suits and all that kind of good stuff. It's about the power of his resurrection. You got to know that. All right? Okay, thank you for letting me give you that. Now you know. Now, all right, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. 
For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. All right, now we're in the final seven days of our 90-day prophetic manifestation window. We're in the final seven days. And anyone taught this prosperity mantle has the assurance. I want to show you that God is working on your behalf. Tell your neighbor, God is working on your behalf. In fact, he ain't through with you yet. Even when these 90 days finish, he ain't through. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, For I'm uh, confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, he's begun a good work in these 90 days, he shall complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So if he got something started, and he got some things started, then he's not done yet. He's not going to cut you off because the 90 days are finished. He's just getting us started. Amen. Now, I want you to put a scripture on the screen for me, please, media. I'm going I'm to accelerate this a little bit because I took time on the other piece there. Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. says, now may the God of peace. Now, that word peace is the Greek word irene, which means what? Prosperity. Okay? So, I, I, I'm going to say it like this. Now, may the God of prosperity who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead. Did y'all catch that? See, the devil don't want you to believe that. He doesn't want you to know that. That's why he's got this conspiracy going on to this day. Everybody say to this day. So he's still keeping people in the dark about this. But the Bible says the God of peace or the God of prosperity who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, verse 21, verse 21, make you complete. May he perfect you. So God doesn't just start and doesn't finish a job. It says may he complete you or may he perfect you. May, may, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will. Then it says, watch this, working in you what is well pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ. So he takes pleasure in our prosperity. He is well pleased to give us the kingdom. So he's working in us what is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus, Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So God is working in us. These 90 days have been a training time. Amen. Now, this year 2019, the Lord took me back to this. This was I was ready to go to bed. He said, don't, don't lose what you've been teaching all year. That this year is a year of visitation. This year is a year of abundant manifestation. Y'all remember that? When he visited Obed-Edom. Hallelujah. Something happened in Obed-Edom's house. Did y'all forget that message? When the Lord visited Obed-Edom's house, something shifted. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 2 Samuel 6, 11, they can put on the screen for us. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11 says, The ark of the Lord, now this we notice the Lord of hosts, yes. remained in the house of Obed Edom the Gittite. How long? Nine days, right there, right? And the Lord blessed Obed Edom and all his household. It's so funny because when, when the Lord began to stir me up about this, I was about one o'clock this morning, so I, I'm like, I went back, I said, I need to find the notes, my notes where I preached that message and 
and gave that prophetic declaration. So I started searching my notes. I have everything computerized and cataloged. And I'm trying to find, well, where, where, did, I, where did I have that? And I, I couldn't find it. I'm like, I don't delete my notes. And I realized, oh, it wasn't. I didn't, I didn't plan it out. I didn't know God was going to release that. I didn't plan that. I didn't script that. God released that. It was January 27th. We're sitting here and God released the word. Matter of fact, we had that day a day of visitation. And when the Lord visited this house on the 27th, he released that word of 90 days of prophetic manifestation, 90 days of miracles, 90 days of signs and wonders, 90 days of increase in our lives. And he based it on right off here. So whenever the Lord visits, something's going to shift in your life. Tell your neighbor, it's going to shift. So these 90 days have been a preview of what God has planned and in store for everyone who invites him into their lives. I want to show you something here, that whenever God visits, a shift takes place. Whenever God visits, a shift takes place. I want you to go to Genesis chapter 50, please, real quick. Genesis 50. Hallelujah. And uh, verse 24. Now, y'all got to pray with me now. Genesis 50 and verse 24. It says, and Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying. Now, Joseph, he had been, uh, remember, he had been taken, uh, made a slave and sent down to Egypt. And the Lord elevated him from slavery all the way up to becoming a second in command of Egypt. He became really the, the number one leader on the face of this planet because the whole world was in famine. They had to come to Joseph for all their, their needs. Glory to God. God raised them up. At every turn, God shifted his life. So Joseph is the one God uses to announce something. He says, I'm dying, but God will surely what? Visit you. And watch when he visits you. He's not just coming to say hi and how you're doing. It says when he visits you, he's going to bring you out. Boy. Bring you out of this land. To the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Everybody say shift. shift. So whenever God visits, he's looking to bring you out of something. Whenever God visits, he's looking to shift you from one place to another, from one level to another. He said God's going, when he visits, he's going to bring you out of this land and then put you in another land, the land he promised to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, there's a land that's due to you. There's a land that belongs to you, but you can't get there stuck here. And you can't get there on your own. You got to hear this, ladies and gentlemen. You can't get to where God wants you to be on your own. You need him to visit you in your life. Now, how do we get God to visit? Y'all remind me of that. How do, how do we get? You have, cre- have to create a habitation for visitation. How do you create a habitation of visitation? It's with your praise. Whatever you do, and I know the devil has been attacking God's people in these other days, and the reason he's been attacking is because he knows if he can get you to stop your praise, then God can't, doesn't have a habitation, and without habitation, God cannot visit you the way he wants to visit you. So that's why the devil's been after everybody. I don't have any witnesses about that. He's been coming at you. But 
if you have maintained your praise, if you have maintained your celebration, if you have maintained your expectation, the devil in hell can't stop God from visiting you. And when God visits you, he's going to shift you out of this one level. Glory to God. Remember, even, even Joseph is the same one who told us, told, who said earlier to those same brothers, he says, what you meant for evil, God turned it for my good. So in other words, even the things that the devil comes and brings to your life that he means for evil, God has an has a uncanny way of turning things around and making them work for your good. You got it. So you've got to maintain your praise, ladies and gentlemen. Don't ever forget that. Okay, so it says, he said, God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Now, at this time, he's talking to his brothers, the people, they're not slaves. They're living and actually enjoying it. Right? Remember, they're, at this time, they're living in an area called Goshen. Goshen, everything is good. In fact, they were given the best land in Egypt when they arrived there. Y'all not hearing me. They were given the best land. And yet, Joseph says prophetically that when God visits you, he's going to bring you out of this land. Now, you know they got to be saying, bring out of this land. Why, why we got to leave this land? We got it good. We got it, I mean, we got it going on here. And God is saying, no, 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 you may be enjoying it, you may, you may be doing all right. But my promise to Abraham is not for y'all to be doing all right. I'm trying to bring you into your own land that's flowing with milk and honey. And God doesn't want his people satisfied with just, just, just having it nice. I got it nice and, you know, I got two or three bedrooms, I got a two-car garage, and, you know, I got a nice job. That ain't, that ain't what God's calling you for. He's got, he's got what's called an inheritance for you. So Joseph prophesies to them about their inheritance. God's going to take you out of this land where you're doing all right into another land where you're going to have more than enough. Got it? All right, stick with me here. Stick with me here. All right, now, so then I want you to go to Exodus 3. How many of y'all know Joseph died? Well, when Joseph died, the Bible says also that same Pharaoh died. And a new Pharaoh rose up. And who did not know Joseph did not regard Joseph or his God. This new Pharaoh put the people in slavery. Now, now that land that was uh, uh, enjoyable has now become their cell. It's become their slave quarters. So in Exodus 3, I want you to look at verse 7. God finds a man named Moses. Everybody say Moses. And he talks through him. Watch verse 7. It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Verse 8. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a what? Now, if the land they were already in was good and large, he, he wouldn't have said that. 
So remember, I just want you to see, they were content before in that land. And God said, that ain't a good and a large land. You think it's good, but it's just all right. He told us later on in Ezekiel, he said, I searched the whole planet and found the best land for you. So God has something that is prepared just for you. God has the best neighborhood and the best house and the best cars and the best clothes and the best food and the best of everything. The best husband and the best wife for you. He's already searching out for you. Glory to God. So he says, I'm going to take you to a good land and large to a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, that's beautiful. That means going to be plenty of cattle and plenty of land for the cattle to graze. And plenty of honey means there's going to be plenty of bees. What do bees do? Bees pollinate. Bees keep the vegetation growing and increasing. You're never going to run out of any collard greens and turnip greens and okra and squash, deep when you get the bees involved. <laughs> so God said, I'm taking you to someplace much better than where you are now. Are y'all hearing me today? Glory to God. Now drop down, please, to verse 15. Verse 15. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name. In other words, my name is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In other words, I'm a multi-generational God. I'm a God of successive generations. When I bless you, I'm going to bless you and your children. And your children's children. And your children's children's children. I'm going I'm to uh, confirm my covenant to your seed after you in their generation. God is a God of generational prosperity. God does not, he does, he does not want to see you coming up middle class, high class, and your children all broke, busted, and disgusted. He don't want you serving God, pleasing God, walking with God, and your children running the streets. Y'all ain't say nothing on that part. He's a multi-generational God. He wants every generation to walk with him, live with him, serve him, and enjoy all the benefits of being his children. Now, he says, he says this here. He says, and this is my memorial to all generations. Verse 16, go and gather the elders of exceeding grace Christian Center together. Well, get all the flight team leaders together. Tell them I got to tell them something. Say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. I've seen all you've been going through. He said, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. I'm not going to let the Egyptian system, the world system, keep afflicting my people. I see you're going through struggling, barely getting by, work, work, working, for, working for barely, barely living wage and being mistreated. He says, but I'm going to bring you up out of that, out of the affliction, to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing. Come on. Y'all got it? 
going to keep going here. Verse 19, verse 19. But I am sure. Now watch. Oh, boy. But I am sure that the devil is not going to let you go. When he spoke through me on January 27th, prophesy. Prophesy, my son. Prophesy 90 days of manifestation. Prophesy 90 days you're going to come out. Matter of fact, he had, he had me come back on, I believe it was February the 27th, and prophesy that a breakout is coming to your house. Oh, y'all remember that? A breakout is coming to your house. Y'all forgot all about that, didn't you? <laughs> Prophesy that I'm going to bring them out. Prophesy that I'm going to cancel their debt. Prophesy I'm going to heal their bodies. Prophesy I'm going to bring their children back home. Prophesy I'm going to turn their lives around. Prophesy I'm going to bless their business. Prophesy I'm going to increase them. Tell them I have seen them and I'm going to bring them out. But I am sure. It's interesting that God had me come back a couple weeks later and tell y'all, now listen. Now listen. God spoke to us, but the devil knows what happens if you break out. So be on the watch. He's, he's going to come against you. I am sure he's not just going to let you come out. Come on now. Come on now. The devil's not just going to stand by and let you come out of debt. Let you come out of bondage. Let you come out of your sickness and disease. He's not just going to let you come out of that. He says, now this is God talking. Now God said, I'm coming to deliver you. And yet God says, but I'm sure that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, will not let you go, not even by a mighty hand. God is predicting that you're going to have opposition. So think it not strange concerning these fiery trials which ought to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. He's telling you ahead of time that the devil's not just going to back off and let you come out. I know you came into the 90 days and you heard a prophetic word. you like, praise God, it's about to be all gravy. And God said, no, 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 I didn't say that. I said you're coming out, but I didn't tell you it's going to be easy. I said I'm going to bless you, I'm going to increase you, but I didn't tell you it's going to be a cakewalk. I'm sure the devil's going to come against you. I mean, how do you handle that when God tells you, I'm sure? You go ahead and adjust yourself. Steady yourself. Okay, brace yourself. I'm about to deal with some stuff here, but I'm coming out. I'm coming out. So you got to then start changing, change the tone of your speech. That when the devil comes against you, instead of telling folk, I'm going through. Start telling folk, I'm coming out. The fact that I'm going through is an indication that I'm coming out. Because if I wasn't going through anything, then, then I, I would have nothing to bank on. God told me this was going to happen. So somebody say, I'm coming out. Say it again, I'm coming out. And, and, and tell your neighbor, ain't nothing going to stop me. Tell them I've been going through. But I'm coming out. I gave you an example here a couple years ago. I was talking about how we had driven through a tunnel one time somewhere in Nashville or Tennessee, whatever it was. 
come Cumberland Gap Tunnel. And, and, and then when, when you go through a tunnel, uh, you, the moment you enter that tunnel, you might tell somebody, I'm going through the tunnel. But at, at the same time you're going through it, simultaneously, you are coming out. You're not going through with coming, without coming out. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You might as well say, yea, though I come out of the valley of the shadow of death. Somebody shout, I'm coming out. I'm here to announce to you today that your breakout, when I said a few weeks ago, a breakout is coming, I'm here to announce to you this week that your breakout is here now. If you didn't quit, if you didn't throw in the towel, if you didn't draw back, if you didn't turn around, if you didn't give up, that breakout that you've been waiting on, I'm announcing that breakout is here right now. Give God a shout about that. You've been waiting on it, it's here. It's here. And I gotta explain to you why it's here. Now watch. Sit down. It said, but I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. Not even by a mighty hand. Now watch verse 20. Watch verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand. Oh, Jesus. In other words, the enemy not going to let you go, not with a mighty hand. He was talking about his hand. Talking about your hands. In other words, he's saying, with all your hard work, with all your intelligence, with all your consultation, you can't get yourself out of the mess you in. I, I, I'm going to come on this side. With all your intelligence, with all your skill, with all your counseling, you can't get yourself out of the mess that you're in. Because the devil will not let you go, not even with a mighty hand. I don't care how strong and big and bad you think you are and how smart and how much sense you think you have. The devil's not going to let you go with your own hand. So you need another hand. You need, you need a hand bigger than your hand. You need a hand stronger than your hand. You need somebody who has all power in his hand. He says, verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand. And strike your enemy. And strike your debt. And strike that tumor. And strike that disease. And strike that strife. And strike that that struggle and that trouble in your life. I'm going to strike it with all my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, everybody say after that. <laughs> and after that. And after that. He will let you go. Now wait. In verse 19, he said, go back to verse 19. I'm sure he will not let you go. But that's with your hand. In verse 20, when I bring my hand, he will, oh Jesus. Oh my God. Somebody, somebody high five your neighbor and tell him I'm about to go, I'm about to go. I'm about to get up out of this mess. 
I'm about to get up out of this trouble. I'm about to get up out of this situation. I'm about to get up out of this sorrow. I'm about to get up out of this pain. I'm about to get up out of this debt. Not by my hand, but the hand of the Lord is moving in my life. He said he would. And I heard the choir tell us today, power belongs to God. It's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit. And when God puts his hand on your situation, somebody just throw your hands up and say, Lord, put your hand on me. Lord, put your hand on my situation right now. Put your hand on my money. Put your hand on my marriage. Put your hand on my son. Put your hand on my daughter. Put your hand on my family. Put your hand on my business. Put your hand on my career. Put your hand on my body, Lord. Put your hand on me. Put your hand on me, Lord. I'm coming out. You gotta shout about it right now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, the sauce is on. I see the sauce. I see the sauce. Are y'all ready for this? I said, are y'all ready for this? He said, so I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt and with all my wonders which I will do in his midst. And after that, he will let you go. Now, verse uh, 21, 21, because when he lets you go, you're not going to come out with nothing. He says, and I will give this people favor. I'm declaring God is releasing into your life a new dimension of favor that you have never walked in. I don't mean favor with your friends and favor with your brother and your sister. I mean favor with even folk who can't stand you. They've been trying to control you, been trying to hold you down, been trying to hold you back. God said, when I release this favor on your life, not even your enemy can stand against you. When I release this favor on your life, your enemy must be at peace with you. I'm releasing a supernatural dimension of favor like you've never seen before in your life. He said, I'm going to give you this favor. And it shall be. Everybody say it shall be. It shall be. Oh my God. Tell your neighbor, just grab him by the hand and say, neighbor. neighbor. It shall be. When you go, you're not going to go empty handed. You leaving with your hands full. You leaving with your pockets full. You leaving with your accounts full. You leaving with your mind intact. Leaving with your body healthy and strong. You leave with your marriage intact, your children back at home. You're going to leave out with your hands full. Your Bible declares that when they left Egypt, there was not one feeble one. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, look at me. There was not one feeble one among them. That means when God brought them out, he healed every sickness every disease that means when you hit your breakout disease can't go with you sickness can't go with you pain can't go with you because you're going to leave all that back where you've been that can't go where I'm going 
now with my full health, with my full strength, with my right mind, with use and activity of my limbs. Everything full. He said, you're not going to bother to hand it. Now watch verse 22. 22. He said, watch this. This kind of favor I'm going to give you. All the women in the house say, hey. Is God specific because he, he, knew, he knew men can kind of be timid. Men can kind of be kind of passive. But he said, I got, I got to get the women on this one right here. Because women know how to step to people and ask for stuff. Women know, women, women know how to make demands here. So he said, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor I receive. Namely of her who dwells near her house. Now the one dwelling near her house is her slave master. If you ever been, y'all have been to a plantation? You ever been to a plantation, the master's house is up front, and all the slave quarters are back in the back. So when it says, you namely those who are, are near her house, it's that you're going gonna to go to the, to the master's house. You've been living in an eight by eight. You and six other people have been living in an eight by eight. I want you to go to the mansion and say, hey, uh, ma'am, ma'am, I'm going to need that. I like that. I've been cleaning it myself. I need that. I took care of that for you. I didn't know I was taking care of it for me. <laughs> I didn't know I was managing your business for me. I didn't know I was managing your affairs for me. But the Lord put a favor on me. And the Bible said, just, you're just going to go ask. Just go ask. Articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your children so your children know what it is to dress nice and live nice and have it nice. Your children ain't going around with low self-esteem because they know what it is to have the best. And he says, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Y'all sit down. Y'all trying to make me preach. I don't want to preach. All right, now, now, let's, 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 let's solve this here. He said, I'm giving you a new dimension of favor. That's what I heard this morning from the Lord. A new dimension of favor. Where the blessing begins to cause everything around you to prosper. And people just are attracted to you and they start just doing things for you. Irresistible favor. Now watch this. Remember what it said in Exodus 3, verse 20. He said, I'll stretch out my hand and strike out Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in, in this mist. He said, after that, he will let you go. He said, after that. So we got to ask, after what? After what? Well, what does that look like? What does the that look like? Well, we know there were 10 plagues. Number one. Water was turning to blood. Remember what God said now. I'm sure he's not going to let you go. So water turning to blood. That means all the water in Egypt, they can't use it. You can't bathe in it. You can't wash your clothes in it. You can't, certainly can't drink it. And yet, Pharaoh says, no. Nah. Number two, there was a frog invasion. Frogs everywhere. Frogs in the house, frogs in the car, frogs in the chariot, frogs in the closet. The Bible said there were frogs all in the pots, frogs in the, in the ovens, frogs all in the kitchen. 
And all and only thing happened was Pharaoh said, hey, that's too much. I don't want that. So, so Moses said, okay, you want, want me to come get rid of it? He said, oh, not tomorrow. Do it tomorrow. So we got water turned to blood. Then we have frogs. Then we have number, the third plague was a lice infestation. Y'all know about lice, don't you? Y'all don't know about lice. You, you heard of it. I know what you're going to say. I know what y'all are thinking. You've heard of it. And yet, Pharaoh didn't let him go. The fourth one was swarms of flies. Y'all know what it's like to be on your porch and flies flying all around, or be in Georgia at the, at the family reunion, and you're trying to eat your ribs and flies all around, you can't even eat your food, flies everywhere. The Bible says there were swarms of flies that, that covered the land, darkness all over the land from flies. And yet he didn't let them go. Then the fifth plague was all their livestock was diseased. Mad cow disease, swine flu, and all that, <laughs> birds, all that kind of stuff. Every, all their livestock, the animals, horses, everything's just diseased. And yet he didn't let them go. The sixth plague, boils and sores, bores on all the men and all the beasts. And yet he didn't let them go. The seventh plague, God sent hailstorm, H-A-I-L, hailstorm. I've been in a hailstorm before. My wife and I were driving, passing through uh, Jacksonville one time, and we got caught in a hailstorm. Nothing nice. Big chunks of ice. And the Bible says, this, this is supernatural, hail and fire at the same time. How God managed that? You, you send hail, which is ice, and fire at the same time. Number eight, the locusts ravaged all the agriculture. Locusts came, the devourer came, and ravaged all their crops. So now they have nothing to eat. They have the, they, their farm is just a little messed up. They have little gardens. Locusts. Then number nine, Total darkness for three days. Can you imagine it being so dark you can't see the people in front of you, can't see your own hand in front of you all day, all night, total darkness. When, when that kind of darkness hits, you, you, you actually get disoriented. You actually get disoriented. You can't see anything when it's that dark. You can't see furniture. You can't see animals. You can't, you can't see things creeping in your house. <laughs> Total darkness. You can't see the jack man coming through your house. Three days of it. 72 hours of total darkness, and yet Pharaoh still wouldn't let him go. He didn't relent of the first nine. But then came word of the 10th plague. Everybody say the 10th plague. Now, 10 in the Bible is the number of perfection and completion. So God is bringing a perfect, because remember he, he told Moses, he said, I'm going to strike Egypt and the gods of Egypt. So every one of these plagues represented, there was some God that the Egyptians worshipped. So he's, a, he's countering those Egyptian gods. <laughs> he's showing you that your gods are fake. 
<laughs> God, boy, God is something else, boy, I'm telling you. So the nine plagues didn't move Pharaoh. But then Moses announces the tenth plague. Everybody say the tenth plague. The tenth plague is the death of all the firstborn. Every firstborn son throughout Egypt would be killed. Now I want you to see this here. That it's the death of the firstborn that's going to bring deliverance to God's people. The death of the firstborn is going to be the breakout for the people of God. It wasn't the darkness. It wasn't the lice. It wasn't the frogs. It wasn't the flies. It wasn't the, 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 the water being turned to blood. But the death of the firstborn. God's setting something up here. Oh my God. So it's announced. Now, here's what I want you to realize. The children of Israel, they're slaves. They're in Egypt. They're, they're in a, a city, an area called Goshen. And when all these nine plagues hit, uh, Goshen is unaffected by them. So while there's darkness in Egypt, there's still light in Goshen. While there's frogs and flies and locusts and everything swarming everywhere, in Goshen, they are totally exempt from this thing here. But, when it came to this 10th plague, God told them, I need you to be involved on this one. He said, here's what I want you to do. For this 10th plague, I'm going to destroy all the firstborn sons of Egypt. But what I need you to do is every household, get yourself a lamb. And sacrifice a lamb. And when you get that lamb and sacrifice him, you're going to eat him, but take his blood. And put that blood on the lintel of your, of your door and on each doorpost. And he said, I'm going to send this death angel through Egypt. And he said, and that angel comes through. He said, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. He said, this plague. He said, after that, remember, he's going to let you go. He said, I'm going I'm to show him some stuff. And God knew. He said, but I'm going to bring one that he can't refuse. And that one's going to hit him at his heart. He knew the death of the firstborn would hit the heart of Pharaoh. So is it not interesting that God, for us, to pay the, the sacrificial cost and the ransom for us, would allow his firstborn son to die because God has to stand there, sit there in glory and look down on the earth and see his own firstborn being sacrificed for people. And he has to, in fact, turn away so much so that the son said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is because God couldn't bear to watch his firstborn. But the firstborn son would be the sacrifice, would be, the, would be what would bring the people of God out of all the bondage. Now watch it. Watch this. Watch this. Now, I want you to go to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. 
I got a few more minutes? Because God had had them do something here. I want you to see this. Exodus 12, verse 1. I'm going to read this pretty quickly, so follow along with me. 1 through 3. Now the Lord, now this is after the firstborn's death is announced. Now watch. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So now on his year, the year starts now. He says, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Drop down, please, to verse 11. Verse 11. He says, and thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Notice how he says, when you eat this, I want you to eat ready. He says, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So when you eat this meal, I want you to eat it ready to go. Because this Passover is going to be your breakout. Oh boy, some of y'all are catching this here. This Passover is going to be your breakout. Y'all stay with me here. This, remember what, I'm, I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this here. Passover, whenever Passover comes, it marks a shift. Just like a visitation marks a shift. We're in the year of visitation. We're in the year of abundant manifestation. We are in Passover. And so God is saying, I'm ready to shift the people of God into a new level. Watch this. He says, Oh, my God. In verse, uh, let's go to verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will do what? pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now you go down there and you read through and you read about how they, how they kept the, fe- the, the feast of the Passover. The first day they would have a convocation. That's what we're doing today. Today is our convocation. This is the first day of Passover. Began last night. The, seventh, the, the last day starts on, next fr- on this coming Friday night. We're going to be here for the close of our convocation. Oh my God. Alright, now. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles Go to the book of Numbers. Two books. You're in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Everybody say shift. Shift. Say it again, shift. Shift. That was weak, y'all, boy. Y'all are. Shift. 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 You'll get it by Wednesday. Numbers 33, verse 1. I got to keep going. These are the journeys of the children of Israel who went out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Y'all watch this? Verse 2. Now Moses wrote down the starting points of their journeys at the command of the Lord. And these are their journeys according to their starting points. They departed from Ramses in the first month 
on the 15th day of the first month, on the day after Passover. So the day after Passover, they, they move. You'll catch this here. The day, <laughs> Passover means it's time to shift. On the day after Passover, they move. Notice what it says. The children of Israel went out with boldness in the sight of all the Egyptians. For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. Now I want you to see something here, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to me very carefully. When I stood on January 27th, and the Lord told me to prophesy 90 days of manifestation, 90 days of visitation, 90 days of miracles. I did not know how the days would coincide. I didn't get a calendar out. I didn't have a calendar up here. God simply said, speak 90 days. January 27th. Well, I can calculate 90 days. 90 days is going to make us end up at April 27th. All right? Which is this coming Saturday. What I did not know at that time was that the last seven days of our 90 days coincides exactly with the seven days of Passover. He told us a prophesy early on that a breakout was coming. I didn't know when I prophesied that the breakout is coming that the last seven days is the breakout feast. Boy, y'all, boy, y'all. I, I, I wish I could tell you I was smart enough to plan that. I wish I could tell you I was, I could calculate those things and, and plan that, but I, I couldn't, I didn't. I'm just going by inspiration of God. Prophesy this, and I didn't know that these last seven days that began last night that will end on Saturday evening. These last seven days of our 90 days is the Passover feast. The Passover feast, which is the shift, the shift feast. It's the breakout feast. When everything about your life goes to another level. Oh, y'all. Go, go to Joshua. You need a little, one more piece of evidence. I'm going to give you one more piece of evidence. And you can get ready for your ham and collard greens and all that kind of stuff. Joshua 5. Joshua 5. I want to make sure I knock this nervousness out of y'all. I sense it. I just, I just caught what it was. I just caught what it was. What you're nervous about is about pastor's about to ask you for a Passover offer. I ain't ask you for Jack. I ain't ask you for Jack. I'm telling you, God told us that earlier this year. Some of you have already reached tipping point. You've already reached that place where it's just boom. Where now his hand gets involved and he pushes you over to the side. So let the, just shut the devil up. Tell him, shut up. Shut up, devil. Get that nervousness out of yourself. You're always worried about a seed. I'm here to tell you, Christ is our Passover. 
trying to show you something, man. Watch this. Joshua 5, are you there? Everybody say shift. shift. Say the Passover, the Passover is for the shift. Joshua 5 and verse 9. Glory to God. This is after Joshua. They've already crossed Jericho. They've now, or crossed Jordan rather. They've gotten over. uh, They're about to cross into their promised land. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day, they just finished circumcising themselves. Right. Now, you and I circumcise our hearts. Right. He said, this day, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place, of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Everybody say to this day. Gilgal means rolling or rolling away. So God is saying, right now, watch me, I'm, I'm rolling off the reproach or the shame or the embarrassment of that Egyptian system off your life. The embarrassment of going to the, to the store and having to wait and get, get your car turned down. The embarrassment of having to stand before somebody and tell them all your medical history because they, you're feeling, no, I'm getting all that off your life. <laughs> the embarrassment of your children not being home and they cutting up, you're getting called from school all the time. No, I'm, I'm getting that stuff off you. I'm, 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 I'm about to shift you to something new. Hallelujah. Verse 10, are you ready for this? Yes. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover, come on, at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Now watch this. Everybody say shift. And they ate of the produce of the land. This is the promised land. On the day. What? On the day after the Passover. I'm telling you, boy, Sunday, boy, you about. This coming Sunday? The day after the Passover? You about to, be, you about to get brand new. They ate on the day after the Passover unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Verse 12. Now watch. Are you ready for this? Then the manna ceased. Now hold on. Now as slaves in Egypt, you know how it was, they lived on not enough. They had to live on whatever master gave them. They, they were living on government welfare, on government assistance. They were eating the leeks and the onions and the cucumbers and whatever master had. They, they ate at the flesh pot. They had spam and, and, and canned meat. Whatever they could get, get from the government is what they lived on in Egypt. Then they got out there in the wilderness. Everybody say wilderness. And they, they don't have government, government provision. Now they're learning how to get divine provision from God. God has given them manna from on high. They're eating angels' food. But God had given them command, when I give you this angels' food, only gather just enough for one day. So they did not know. back Back in Egypt as slaves, they lived on scarcity. But now in the wilderness, as free people, they lived on just enough. They shifted from one level. To another. But now in Joshua, 
Okay. Let me just let me just let me just review this for you now. Watch this, Andre. It was the Passover that shifted them from not enough. Okay, y'all. They broke out of not enough on Passover. Just enough. Now they want to go to somewhere else, but they can't get there without the Passover. So God commanded them, y'all keep this Passover, and when you do that, I'm going to shift you again. So too many of God's people are happy because, well, at least, you know, I got a check. I got a little money in the bank. I can pay my bills. You in the wilderness. You on just enough. And God is saying, I'm ready to shift my people one more time. So he said, Joshua, y'all keep this feast here. And watch this. Then the manna, which was daily provision, just enough, ceased. On the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, that's on Passover, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. They began to eat on a different level. They begin to eat on a different level. They begin to, to drive on a different level. They begin to live on a different level. They begin to dress on a different level. They begin to party on a different level because they move from not enough and from just enough into now they're in the land of Canaan. They're in the land that God said way back then will flow with milk and honey. They're in the land now of more than enough. And God said, I took the Passover to shift you. All right, y'all got it? Everybody say the shift is on. Y'all, y'all, you, y'all really gonna make me wait for y'all to get this. Have y'all been walking with me for the last 80, 80 days or so? Have y'all, have y'all been expecting anything from the Lord these last days? I'm telling you right now that God has announced to you that these last seven days, these are the last seven days of, of how you live. These are your last seven days on this level. You're going to come out next Sunday saying, so long, bye-bye. I'm leaving this level behind me. I'm moving to a whole new place in God, a whole new place in ministry, a whole new place in my family, a whole new place in my anointing, a whole new place in my finances. I'm moving to a whole new level. Why? Now watch. 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Some of y'all ready. Some of y'all, you can stay in the wilderness of you. You know, can can I tell you the truth? When the children of Israel, Anita, when the children of Israel went went in the wilderness, went went into the promised land, some of the children of Israel settled in the promised land. But some settled outside. Ask your neighbor, are you going to settle outside the promise? Are you going to settle with less than? You're going to settle on just get barely getting by. You're going to settle on just what you got. I, I, I know you got 5000 $5, in a bank. That ain't no money. You can't do nothing with that. 
You can't buy nobody else no car and bless them. Some tribes settled outside. Not me. Not me. I ain't going to settle with a less than anointing. Less than ministry. Less than children. A less than marriage. Less than all. No, I ain't going to settle with that. No, something got to happen. First Corinthians 5. First Corinthians 5. Not me. I'm doing all right. Verse 6. Your glory is not good. I'm doing all right. Your glory ain't good. No, Pastor, you don't realize I'm doing better now than I ever did. Your glory ain't good. Oh, no, I'm, I'm middle class now. Your glory ain't good. I got a reasonable portion of health and strength. Your glory ain't good. Now watch this. This, this is what God's, God's got to do. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? You got to get that leaven out of mediocrity. That leaven out of average. That leaven out of just, just settling. That leaven out of covetousness. That leaven out of comparison and contrasting. Where, where you sit there saying, well, I'm, I'm better than my cousin. Therefore, everybody say therefore. therefore. Purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Get that old stinking thinking out of your brain. So you can be a new lump that God can use. Since you are truly, you truly are unleavened. Watch this. For indeed, Devin, Christ, our Passover. Oh my God. He's the shift. He's the shift. He's the sacrifice. He's the lamb. In fact, your Bible says he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So can you understand why the devil works so hard to keep this a secret? Because he knows if you get an understanding about Christ being your Passover, your whole life will shift. No, 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 y'all don't get it. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Because God told the children, of, told Moses, he said, when you go down there, that Pharaoh, I'm sure not, he's not going to let you go by, even by a mighty hand. So the devil knows, the devil, the devil do, he'll encourage you to keep working all your stuff. He'll let you keep working all your plan till you work your fingers to the bone. You got three jobs trying to make it. Y'all are saying, you got three jobs, you're working all night, working all day, working like a junkyard dog, trying to make it. Got your little plan, you're trying to make it. You think you're doing all right. You, ain't, you know you struggle, you can't sleep, you're, you're tired, you're warning, you ain't seeing your family. You know you ain't, come on now. Got all your little ideas. Hustling. And he said, you can do all that, but he ain't going to let you go. He ain't going to let you go. He ain't going to let you. He's not going to let you go. You can go from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor. And he's not going to let you go. Ask, ask me how I know. The woman with this, your blood, 
The Bible says she has suffered many things, y'all better hear me, of many physicians, and was nothing better but rather grew worse. Every doctor she went to, she, it made it worse. He ain't gonna let you go because you go to the doctor. But, but when I come through with my hand, my plan, my work, my power, my mighty wonder, after that, he will let you go. So what has happened? I got to purge out my old leaven, my old way of thinking, my own ideas, my own wisdom, my own intellect. I got to abandon all that. And then I've got to become a new lump. Without all the filth and the muck and the mire from the, from the world, he says, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Christ, the firstborn, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for us. So he was sacrificed for us to shift. Let me close here. Revelation 5 and um, verse 12. I think that's where I want to go. Revelation 5. Revelation 5 verse 12. Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. For me to shift. It's interesting, interesting. I think it was 2016 or 17, maybe it's 2017 it was, where they had Easter, but Easter didn't coordinate on the calendar with Passover. Is that last year? And so what do we do? We didn't celebrate Easter on the day there the rest of the world celebrated. Because that was wrong. I mean, I didn't care if every church in America celebrated Easter Sunday on Easter Sunday. I didn't care about that. I don't care about no bunnies. I don't care about no eggs and no Cadbury junk. I don't care about that. Oh, this isn't, this isn't about just this isn't about some suit and tie. This is this is about Christ dying for us, being our Passover. So we we did it a whole different time than everybody else in the world. We marked with Passover. I know people thought y'all are crazy, y'all are idiots, y'all are extreme. Yep. I'm purging out the old leaven. So he says, watch this, because this is about the lamb. It's not not about about the rabbit. It's about the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive. Now, wait a minute. Now, he's he's our sacrifice. He's our Passover, right? So he did all this for us to shift. So I want you to see what you're shifting into. To receive power. power. 
This week you're about to shift into power. To receive riches. You're about to shift into riches. And wisdom. And strength. Come on, you're going to shift to wisdom and strength. Not being weak and weary water. No, wisdom and strength. And honor and glory and blessing. I'm shifting into all that. Not because of the power of my hand, but because of the power of his hand. And he sent his son, his firstborn. The Bible calls him the firstborn. The Bible says Mary, when, when Joseph, uh, the angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, hey, what, what Mary has is, is of the Lord. Don't touch her. And the Bible says Joseph did not touch her until she brought forth her firstborn son. Then the Bible calls Jesus Christ the firstborn over all creation. Then the Bible calls him, he's risen from the dead, that he might, might be the firstborn among many brethren. So Jesus Christ is the firstborn. He's that lamb that was slain for us. So not only could he receive, but you and I receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory, and blessing. That's the shift. So what was prophesied 90 days ago? Is about to be fully manifested in this week. Now listen, listen to me. He's given us 90 days to adjust ourselves. None of days to make the adjustment. None of days to shift our mindset. None of days to shift our thinking. None of days to get the old leaven out. None of days to become fully ex expectant about his work and wonders in our lives. So if you haven't been making any shift in your mind, you got seven days. You got seven days to shift your mind from broke, from sick, from dying, to mad, to drama, from drama, from all that, in the power and riches and wisdom and honor and strength and glory and blessing, into more than enough. Because I have news for you, ladies and gentlemen, God's not going backwards. When they, when they took the Passover deep, and they came out of Egypt, he took them through something called the Red Sea. And the Red Sea, he had to open up for them to get through it. I mean, they couldn't pass through it without him opening it up. But when he opened it up and they passed through it, when they, once they got through, he closed it back. All right, you'll get it tomorrow. Once they got through it, he closed it back. He said, I don't want you ever going back where you came from. I don't want you going back to that way of living. I, want you, I don't want you going back to that low level living. I want you to go forward into what I have for you. So watch out these seven days when you shift, when we shift, ain't no going back. I'm saying that to you because if you don't shift with us, you're not going to recognize us next month. Don't be mad because you didn't shift. Don't be mad because you didn't go with it. Don't be mad because you waited to the last minute to try to get on board. No, no, no. I'm giving you a seven-day heads up. 
If you got to fast seven days, fast seven days. You got to pray seven days, pray seven days. If you got to come every day and, and praise God and pray or whatever, do whatever it takes to get your mind shifted. Because we are in the Passover now. And we're shifting into a new level. Get on your feet. All right, Lord, I did it. I did it. All right, it's up to you. What you want to do? <laughs> you want to shift? You know, a lot of folk died in the wilderness. A lot of people died in the wilderness. They couldn't shift. They couldn't. God was promising them something. They, they couldn't see how it's going to happen. Can God provide bread in the wilderness? Can God give, give us meat? Can God do this? Can God give us water? Can God do this? Can God take us in? He brought us out here to die, Moses. Nope. See, they, they didn't make the shift in their minds. One of the things I throw this in, too, is that when they left, the Bible said there was a mixed multitude which meant there were some Egyptians that went with them. And the Egyptians got them all stirred up about what they had left. Egyptians said, hey, you know, we left all them honey, you know, leeks and onions and all that kind of flesh pots. And they got, got so involved thinking about what they had left, they couldn't see where God was taking them. And they died in the wilderness. Every Passover is a shift. You read about it, you can keep going through the, throughout the Old Testament, and you'll see it every time. King Hezekiah, when they rebuilt the temple, I'm sorry, when they went back and restored, repaired the temple, God said, make a Passover, keep the Passover. When they kept the Passover, all of a sudden, boom, everything shifted. Just every, every time, every time. Now, I understand Many of you are sitting there looking at me like, I ain't Jewish. I don't understand this. Well, we are Abraham's seed. The Bible says if you belong to Christ, Galatians, I think it's 329, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So everything that they were promised and was laid out for them, we become partakers of it. We've been grafted into that, to that family, into that blessing. And so, no, you and I are not required by the law of God to do all of the things they did during the Passover time, but we get the privilege because we just read Christ is our Passover. So he brought us into that. So we get all the blessings, all the benefits. We should have all the expectation that something's going to shift in your life. How many of y'all believe that? Let me see your hand if you really believe that, if you're something going to shift in your life. Glory to God. Go right ahead. Play something for us. Hallelujah.
Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. He was raised again on the third day morning for us. Satan's fought to keep that as a secret. He makes what people don't believe that. They refuse to believe that. They think it's um, a scam. It's amazing how many people believe that today. That it's, it's all a scam. They, they say you Christians are so gullible. How could you believe that? <laughs> well, I could understand that if I wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. Because with the Holy Ghost, he's, he's in me, he talks to me. You know he's alive. You, you know it's not a scam. He's, he's undeniable. You, in this place today, if there's anybody in this room and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the Lord of your life, maybe you've been questioning, maybe you've been doubting whether Jesus Christ is real, he's alive, this whole Christianity thing. I have my doubts. I'm not sure I believe. It's understandable. There was a man named Thomas, one of Jesus Christ's own disciples. And Jesus told him, I'm going to rise again. And yet, when they told Thomas, they said, Thomas, hey, we saw Jesus Christ. He's alive. The Bible says, Thomas said, except I see it with my own eyes, put my hands, my fingers in his flesh, he said, I won't believe. So Thomas wouldn't believe, said, I will not believe unless I do this. Well, Jesus is so wonderful and so loving. He shows up to Thomas and says, hey, take your finger. Remember what you said? Put your finger in my side. Put it in my hand. You can, you can touch it right here. So Thomas will have some evidence. But he told Thomas, he said, you have believed because you've seen but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So you and I don't have to see with our natural eyes, but by faith, we believe Jesus Christ died and rose again. Now that's how I got saved. But since I got saved and the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of me, now I don't have to just go by faith. I, I know he talks to me, he leads me. He's, he's more real to me than you. I doubt you before I doubt him. See, he's that real. Anybody else will testify to that? He's that real? Well, I doubt, I doubt everybody else before I doubt him. If you're in this place today and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you to do that. I'm going to pray for you to do that. It's very simple. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is very, it's just that simple. You'll be saved. You'll be born again. You'll be delivered, rescued. Your life will shift from darkness to light. And then he'll lead you from the rest of your life to shifting continuously. So if that's you, if that's you, say, Pastor, I hear the word of God today. And I believe what, what the word is said, what you're saying. Today I want to be born again. I want to be saved. If that's you. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. 
I want to pray for you, whoever you may be in this room. If you're not born again, you're not already saved, not already part of the family of God, I want to pray for you today to be born again. All I'm asking you to do is raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray a simple prayer that will change your life forever. 30 years ago, in the month of February, the same thing happened to me. Glory to God. I gave my life to Jesus Christ, February 12th, 1989. April 16th, 1989, that's just, that will be 30 years ago tonight when I preached my first message. Third Sunday in February, in April of 1989. I've not looked back ever since. Ever since, 30 years. I have no plan of going back. He's too good. He keeps proving himself over and over and over again. All right, so I'm going to ask one last time. One last time. It's a free gift. It's a free gift of salvation. If you're in this place, you're not born again. I want to give you that chance today to be born again, to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Know him as your Lord and your Savior. All right? Father God, I pray today for everyone in this room that has heard your voice, that, Lord, if they're not saved, that you would continue to show forth your mercy and your patience with them to give them the opportunity to know, to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Thank you for what you did for us. We appreciate the free gift of salvation that you gave and how you gave Jesus Christ your son, your firstborn, for us. God, truthfully, as a father, I could not imagine watching my firstborn die for someone else. And yet, you had to endure that to see your firstborn son die for us. Nothing he had done, no sin in his life whatsoever, no guile, no deceit found in his mouth. But yet, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't say a mumbling word, but he allowed them to crucify him. But then on his own free will, he gave up his spirit. He died willingly for us because he saw us in the future and today we're so thankful that he became our Passover he became our sacrifice so we could pass from death to life and that we could have life more abundantly now I pray today that each person who's heard this message will take these next seven days these last seven days of this 90-day window and really press in, push in and praise you and glorify you and honor you and welcome you, Lord, in a great visitation and that God will take these seven days to shift our minds, to purge out any old leaven, God, to purge out anything that doesn't belong, God, so that we can move into the wonderful promises and provision you have for us. That we get sin out of our lives, unrighteousness out of our lives, unholy thinking, and anything that does not match your word, we get it out of our lives so that we can go into the fullness of what you have for us. I speak blessing. I speak and release that greater dimension of favor upon every life and that every family, every home shifts drastically and dramatically after this week. We give you praise and glory and honor for these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I right, put those hands together one last time and give God a praise.